0: All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 211 and we're going to go back to the well and answer some great listener questions that we got recently. So uh, without any further ado, I will go ahead and read the first question and then Andrew and I will do our usual give and take. So here we go. Hi, Andrew. I just started listening to the Investing for Beginners podcast, and I didn't know where else to get contact with you. My wife and I have a TD Ameritrade and was wondering if you'd recommend a different brokerage and why. We are paying for every trade. Is that the same across all brokerages? Thank you, Christian. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on Christian's question?
1: The brokerages I use do not pay or do not charge me to make trades. So, you know, obviously you want to open a brokerage account if you want to buy stocks, if you want to invest in the stock market, buy ETFs, anything of that sort. And so the ones I use personally, I use Fidelity, I use Merrill Edge, I use Ally Invest, and there's one more that's slipping my mind. Oh, Schwab. I have an account with Schwab too. So
0: they all work pretty well, but none of them charge me. Are you getting charged? No, I'm not getting charged. I use Fidelity and Schwab, and I do not get charged for either one of them. So strongly, strongly recommend both of them. Uh, They're both super easy to use, uh, easy to open the accounts, easy to fund the accounts, they have some pretty decent information on there to help you learn about different things that you want to pick. Uh, both of them also offer the stock slices or partial shares of stocks, which I think is really beneficial, especially if you're starting out and you don't have a ton of money to throw at something like Amazon at 3400 plus a share. And if you only have $50, you can still buy $50 worth of Amazon. So I think that's kind of cool. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan. It also allows for uh, dripping all the stocks. It's super easy to do. So yeah, I'm a big fan of both of them. Yeah, me too.
1: As of now, recording this, my Merrill and my ally, they don't do the partial shares. But like you said, Fidelity and Schwab does. Schwab's menu, I guess if you want to say, for the partial ownership is a little more limited. I think they're just the S&P 500 right now. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Fidelity, I did a company that was not in the S&P 500 and they were able to slice that up. You have to do a minimum of like five dollars. Right. You can literally get fractions of a share of something. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool, and it helps. It definitely helps anybody just get their feet wet, and it's something that
0: wasn't around when I first started. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing, and they have they both have uh, pretty good apps on, that you can use on your phones as well as the websites. Uh, I generally use the. Websites to make any trades. Andy Schuler, our, our other podcast guest and business owner, with us, he had this great recommendation a while ago to only do that kind of stuff on your computer as opposed to on your phone because it gives you the kind of that speed bump to keep you from trading in and out of companies all the time on your phone because it's so easy to do. Uh, so that's something that I that I do and I recommend to other people to do that as well. I check my portfolio on my phone, but I don't ever trade on my phone.
1: That's good. The smart, you're you're keeping like an arm's distance away so you don't do anything
0: too irrational, too great. Yeah, exactly. Like when I saw what happened with PayPal the other day. No, but yeah, (laughs) I I chose to withhold from that. So, (laughs) yeah. But I think with with so many options out there right now, that if if you have the opportunity to open an account that doesn't charge you, I would highly encourage you to do that because it's just another way for you to make more money in the long run. Instead of giving TD Ameritrade part of your money, go to a brokerage. There's so many out there now that don't charge. We're not going to mention one of them, but there are lots of them out there that don't charge. And if, if you can find one that will work for you that doesn't charge, yeah, by all means, Take advantage of that because that's just that's just more money in your pocket in the long run. Well said, well said.
1: I'm gonna move on to our next question. This one says, Hi Andrew, I have recently started my journey into investment. At first I started looking into individual equities, but it felt rather tedious and I found myself gravitating towards a few known instruments specific to my field of work. Bad idea in terms of diversification. The problem starts when I look into index funds. Multiple index funds are benchmarking the same index and yet churn out different return. I understand the ongoing charges vary between funds, but the difference is mostly under 1%. Then what is the reason that one fund returns 75% over a three-year period while other gives 35%? And how shall I select the right fund? Thanks a lot, a consistent listener, Fahim.
0: So, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So, Andrew and I talked a little bit about this off air before we came on. And my thought is that the reason why we don't have a whole lot of information to go here, go on here. So, these are some ideas that we came up with. The first idea is that the index fund, the reason why one would have so much of a greater return is likely because it's levered. In other words, they're using debt to amplify the return that that index fund is getting versus the other one. And if the same companies are in the competing indexes, there's zero other reason why I could think of why one would get more than another, especially, you know, if both of them hold Google, then there's really no difference in one index fund versus another with Google's return. But if you add Debt to that, which basically doubles or triples the return that that index fund could get. Then that would help explain why that would be elevated over the other ones. Now that's not a panacea. And there is certainly no, we've talked about this a little bit in the past using debt in something like this is dangerous at the very least and it could be extremely dangerous if you really get into it because it it can amplify the up but it can also amplify the down and as andrew talked about a few weeks ago when you amplify the down the getting back to the break even is even that much more difficult and so i'll let him do the numbers because he's the smarter number guy than i am but it's no panacea so what are your thoughts on the differences there that's the only thing i could think of too it's it's got to be that one of them's leverage
1: and one of them's not mm-hmm. and so you want to make sure you're not getting into an etf that does that cuz that's a horrible horrible long-term investment
0: mm-hmm.
1: the only other thing that popped in my mind is maybe you know you mentioned an index having google they do have equal weight indexes versus like the regular s&p index mm-hmm. so an equal weight index would take every company in let's say the s&p 500 and buy it equally. So if we're putting $2 here, $2 here, $2 there, versus the actual S&P 500, which is what we all refer to as the market, that one will buy the whole market based on how big they are. So if Microsoft's a huge company, Google's a huge company, they're going to get more more shares of those will be bought for the index Mm -hmm. than a small company like WD-40. Who's actually not in the S and P? So that's an awful example, but (laughs) um, you get the gist. So that could be another reason, but yeah, just to talk about your point, Dave. It's it's very very critical. You know, if you're not if if you're make sure you're buying an ETF that you know what you're buying. Make sure it's not levered because, like you said, the more you lose, the more you have to gain to come back to even. And that's not even just a saying. That's that's literal math. Mm -hmm. So make sure you understand that. And just because a ETF that is levered has done really well over the past six months doesn't make it a good investment over the next six months and certainly not over
0: the next 10 to 20 years. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Nerd wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app and right now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/beginners that's m o n a r c h m o n e y.com/beginners for your extended 30-day free trial Mm-mm. no it, it it can be very very dangerous so uh, Fahim's second part of the question is how how do we select the right fund and that of course is the $24,000 question that's what everybody wants to know is how do you select the right fund and this kind of goes back to the same kind of idea that you have to think about when you start investing is what kind of investor do you want to be? And what kinds of things do you want to invest in? And the world of index funds and ETFs offers a very wide range of palette of different flavors that you can choose from. And it really comes down to what your risk tolerance is, and what kinds of things that you want to invest in. And there's lots of different ways you can do it. And there's lots of different ways you can slice it. I think really to start with, I would look, if I was doing it, this is, you know, this is not investment advice. This is how I would do it. If I was doing it, is I would try to find something that matches the SP 500, something that matches the NASDAQ and something that matches the Dow. And then if I wanted to go beyond that, then I would probably try to pick and choose maybe some different sectors. Of something that was that appealed to me, whether it's uh, I'll just throw out random things, whether it's grocery or whether it's airlines or whether it's oil, uh, maybe not oil but uh, solar or something, you know, something along those lines. But if I was doing it, then the majority of my money would be in the index funds that match the S and P 500, the Dow, and the Nasdaq, because to me those are air quote safer investments over the long term. And then if I have to branch out and risk some of my money on some of the, I guess, more flavors of the month, if you will, then I would put a much, much smaller portion of my portfolio in those kinds of things. Just because sometimes it's better to scratch the itch and do something like that, even if it's a small amount. And at least you feel like you're you're kind of stepping out of your out of your comfort zone to do some of those things. And that kind of stuff's fine. But the majority of my money would be in safer. Or long-term returns. Because we've talked about this many, many times, and you can pick up just about any book or any website, they'll tell you that the S&P 500 or the stock market in general over the last 100 years has returned around 10%, give or take, including dividends. And so over the long term, that's going to win for you. And if this is something and this is the way you want to invest, then that's the way I would do it. Now, how do you find these funds? The The easiest way that I've found is looking at a website called ETF.com. And they have a great section on there that allows you to help educate you a little bit about how the different funds work. It also shows you the fees that you would have to pay for these funds because they are going to charge you to manage these funds for you. Generally, it's very small, but it's still something you need to be cognizant of. So if you're looking at two competing funds that match the S&P 500, for example, and one has earned 12% over the last three years and the other one's earned 13% over the last three years, but the 13% one charges you a more in fees than... You know, it's it's kind of a toss-up. But if the other one charges you more in fees, then you want to go with the one that charges lesser, the lesser of evils in the fees. It also helps break down what is contained in the funds and how they break down. Like Andrew was talking about, sometimes there's equal weighting funds, and sometimes there's ones that literally just match the index that they're matching. So those are all things that you need to take into consideration when you're picking a fund. Because just like if you're buying Microsoft or Apple or Google, you have to know what you're buying. You have to do the same thing when you're looking at index funds or ETFs. You can't just go and buy. This particular thing, just cause, I have to do a little bit of research. It, it doesn't take long to go through this website that I was talking about. Uh, there are probably other resources out there. This is not my field of expertise, but there's there's probably other websites out there that can help you. But this is the one that I have found in the past that I've looked at just to kind of get information about different index funds and ETFs that I found useful. So, Andrew, did you have any thoughts on anything in regards to any of that? I've I've always got thoughts. Okay. Yeah, sure problem. <laughs> I, I think you put it
1: really, really well. The only thing I would say is I get as a beginner, I feel like some of the some of the things I gear is it can be kind of frustrating to not be told exactly what to do. And the fact of the matter is is it's not as easy as saying this is how you bake a pie and you're gonna you're gonna bake the pie. <laughs> what will do well in any season is gonna change. And so sometimes big businesses will do really well. Sometimes little businesses will do really well. Sometimes the stock market won't do well. Sometimes they'll do very well. And there will always be different pockets of the stock market that do better than the others. And Mm -hmm. so you know, if if you just want somebody to tell you what's the best, how do I become the best all the time? Well, it's not possible. That's like saying, how do I pick the best sports team that wins every single season, every single season? That's just not the way the stock market business works. And so that's why when we say you got to pick what fits to your personality. You got to understand, am I okay taking more risks understanding that that's probably going to be really painful, but I could also have more rewards? Do I want to take the flip side of that? Do I want to be a little more conservative and probably not see my money grow as much, but also not see it crash down at times too? So that's why you have to put yourself into that perspective. And then you have to figure out what makes most sense and if the majority is saying that you want to have a portfolio that is close to the S and P 500 or has some of the better companies in the S and P 500 in there, there's a reason why the best are the best. And so that's why you want to kind of try to figure out what you're just, you're not going to get the best. You're not going to be able to find the best businesses all the time. You have to figure out what works for you. And so there's a ton of different funds you can select from, they have different even styles. I did a blog post recently on what's called these uh, factor ETFs, and so you can buy growth, value, momentum. you know, you could go big, small. you can do all of these things. And I would just say, before you dive into the crazy flavors that are all out there, I would say like slow down and just try to understand the basics and understand that even with some of these more exotic ETFs. You have to be careful because, and this goes for, I think, ETFs in general. If you're not careful, a lot of them actually don't do what you want them to do. I think people buy an ETF because you want to just have a bunch of companies in your portfolio and just buy and hold. And you just want to have those companies to compound money for you. A lot of ETFs these days actually rebalance every quarter. So you think you're buying Google to this month. And then six months from now, you're out of Google and you're into Microsoft. And then you're out of Microsoft, you're into Facebook. And a lot of ETFs do that. And so it's really frustrating to see that where investors think they're getting a buy and hold of a basket of companies, and that's not what they're getting at all. So you have to be really careful. And again, it's got to depend on what you're looking for, because even what I think makes the best sense for me or for Dave doesn't mean it makes the best sense for you. And you got to figure out why that is. Uh, we were talking pr- pretty recently, Dave. How it's really hard to know when to sell, right? Mm-hmm. It's very, really, hard. really hard. And very so hard. That comes into the that comes into play as well. Like, what's your timeline? Are you trying to collect dividends along the way? Are you trying to get in and get out? Five years, ten years. That changes what you buy too. So I think you start with whatever Dave said, and. Just listen to what I'm trying to say is it's worth it to take the effort and be wary of anybody who says, You should just do this and and that should do it for you. Because like I said, every season businesses in the stock market will go up and it'll go down. Things will do better, they'll do worse. And when things do worse, that's when people tend to freak out. And that's when if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna regret the fact that you didn't take the time to figure out and put yourself in the investments that were best for you.
0: Yep, well said. Yep. The last thing I guess that popped into my head to think about as a way to give you, give yourself an idea of what kinds of things you could invest in is look at what your 401k offers a lot of times those are funds or ETFs that have been chosen by investment managers either at the company or by the company that is managing the 401k for you. And a lot of times those could be great starting points. And in a lot of cases, it could be the place you choose to invest because the company is matching, hopefully. And if that all is is occurring, and you're at the company for 10, 15, 20 years, that's a great place to start. And it's a lot of great money that you can use. And it takes a lot of the stress and pressure of having to look for all these different Choices that you may think of. It doesn't mean you can't invest outside of that. And it also doesn't mean that if you choose to look at what Fahim was talking about and building a portfolio out of these kinds of funds, it doesn't mean that you can't still scratch the itch of buying an individual company here or there as well. So there's lots of different options and there's lots of different choices. But I think it all comes back to think about what it is that you want out of the investments. What kinds of things are you comfortable with? How much risk are you comfortable with? And what's best for you? And like Andrew was saying, money is is a personal thing. And so... I could tell you how much salt I like on my steak and Andrew could tell you how much he likes in his steak, but it doesn't mean we're going to agree. And so, and it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It comes down to what your personal preference is. And so you just have to think about those things when you're investing and, and really stick to what works best for you. So, all right. So we've kind of built, we've kind of dug that horse and we'll go and dig some more horses. I don't know all what right. you're doing on your side. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing anything near like that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So moving on. So, hi, Andrew. Uh, I'm a recent listener and have been going back through all 210 podcasts and have learned a lot. Thanks for all the information and advice. I've been looking through financial statements looking for good value stocks to invest in. One thing I see on the balance sheet is total cash from investing and total cash from financing. Increasingly, I'm finding companies that have good earnings, growth, and cash flows, but the cash from investing and financing are trending downwards or in the negative. How should this affect someone's analysis of of a company's future? Thanks, Adam. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Adam's uh, very interesting question? That's a good one. So, you know,
1: this one's obviously a little bit more advanced. So if you're a beginner, you can just shut off from here and feel like you've done enough for today. So what he's talking about is the cash flow statement. So this is one of the financial statements that companies must release. And they disclose all of the information about their company in these financials. And the cash flow statement is going to tell you where the cash is moving. So there's three sections to that like Adam mentioned in the question there's cash from operations there's cash from investing and cash from financing. So he mentioned companies with negative cash from investing and cash from financing. That's actually not a terrible thing. So cash from operations would be anything that has to do with buying your running your business. So let's say we had a lemonade stand. It would include the working capital we had to do. So that would be cups ice cubes, pitcher, lemons. sugar, water. What did you have? Lemons. Lemons. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we could do lemons for a lemonade stand. Um it's a thought. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so that would be part of it. We would have to pay our workers. That would be part of it. That would be on the income statement. And so all of that goes into operations. And then you, know, you get the money that comes in and... pay the suppliers and then you have the the cash that's come in from that now do you want to grow do we want to open two lemonade stands down in the couple cities next to us well in that case we're not just talking about buying cups and pitchers we're talking about you know making huge investments in in brand new units (laughs) so uh, land yeah i mean all that stuff all that stuff. I, I guess that maybe I should use like a store as an example because a lemonade stand doesn't sound too expensive. To it wouldn't be much of an investment. But yeah. So I mean, if it was a store, similar similar thing, right? These stores would be huge investments. So that's where cash from investing comes in. So when you're growing your business, or even if you need expensive machinery to maintain the business, um, those tend to be paid off in multiple years. You know, just paid off in one year, they're long-term investments. And so that's where that cash goes. And then cash from financing would be did you take debt in or did you pay off debt? And so I think dividends and share buybacks those also go into cash from financing. So you could have a company that's paying out dividends and they would have negative cash from financing. And that's a good thing because if I'm a shareholder, I want dividends for my company. So those are kind of the the three main parts of the cash flow statement and a lot of focus goes on that top part, the cash from operations and with good meaning too, because you really want to know what's going on in that individual unit of our lemonade stand. You know, did we sell more lemonade? Uh, were we able to raise prices on our lemonade? Did we offer new products? And then those things all show up in that statement. And then it kind of flows into the rest of the picture that becomes cash flows and earnings and profits and stock prices. So that's that's kind of how I look at those parts of the cash flow statement. Is there something that, that you saw I missed?
0: Uh, I don't think you missed anything. I, I think the thing that I try to think about when I think about the cash flow statement is it's a little confusing because the way that they list them in the financial statements, so the 10K or the, or the 10Q, the annual or the quarterly reports, is it's always listed last, but it actually sits between the income statement or the P&L. Then you have the cash flow statement, and then you have the balance sheet. So the income statement kind of flows into the cash flow statement, which flows into the balance sheet. And the balance sheet, it's, you have to think about that as, as a snapshot in time. It's not a living, breathing document. The cash flow statement and the income statement are, because those are things that they update on a regular basis, and, and uh, things are moving in and out. Whereas the balance sheet is something that you show the financial position of the company at that particular time that they file the report. And so you could think of you could think of the cash flow statement as kind of like the checking account, if you will, of the business. And it's really about the money that goes in and out of the business to Allow the business to operate, and Andrew did a great job of of explaining all that. And the the cash from operations is, is really the is really the lifeblood of of the operations of the business. So, like Andrew was saying, you got to pay for everything to operate the business. The cash from financing is how the business finances itself to make sure that it can continue to grow, however that may be. And then the cash from uh, investing. I'm sorry. Yeah, the cash from investing is the money that you use to grow the business, where the financing is really kind of thinking about how they make up a gap between the cash from operations and the cash from financing and uh, from investing. And so the cash from financing is really whether the company has to use debt to you know, to have enough cash to pay for the things that it's trying to do, whether it's from operations or whether it's from investing. And the other side of that is whether it has to raise equity to pay for those things as well. And you also see things on there like dividends and share buybacks and all that kind of stuff. But the top one, so the cash from operations, you generally want to see that positive. You will see that negative from time to time. And that's depending on the life cycle of the business, that's not unusual. But when you start seeing the other ones as positive, that's not necessarily something you want to see because if you have a company that's growing, you want to see them putting money back into the business and you want to see that negative because you want to see them using the money that they're generating. To invest back into the business because if they're not, then it's not unusual to see it positive for a quarter or a year. But if you see that on a on a consistent basis, then you have to ask yourself what are they what are they doing with their money? Or, you know how are they how are they growing the business and what point is this business at, at their normal life cycle? And, and I'm going to use Visa as an example. So I was just looking at Visa's financial statements before we came on tonight. And the cash from investing for the company in 2020 was actually positive, but the two years prior to that, they were negative. And if you look at the cash from financing, all three years were negative because they pay out a ton of money in share buybacks and dividends. So in other words, they're taking a lot of the money that they make and they're giving it back to the investors in, in those forms of whether it's a dividend or a share buyback. And that's how the company uses the money because they they have a limited, because of the nature of what fees it does, they have a limited need to reinvest back into the business as much as somebody else might. You know, Microsoft has to. Intel has to. Google, they have no choice because of the nature of what they're doing. They have to. But Visa is kind of in a unique position where their business is. They can operate. You know, they can turn the lights off and the business is still making money because just kind of the way it works. But I think when you're thinking about analyzing companies, you have to think about several things. Number one, you need to think about where's the business in the life cycle. In other words, is it a young business? Is it an old business? Is it in a in a new kind of sector or? Niche, or is it in an old, more kind of reoccurring, you know, grocery business that's been around for 75 years? Their capital needs, in other words, the money they need to reinvest is way different than it is for somebody that just went public two years ago and they're in fintech or they're in cloud computing. There's a lot more, there's a lot more money they need to spend to continue to grow. So, all those things you have to take into consideration when you're thinking about analyzing this, but it's not unusual to see some of those negative. and so even if you see it trending downwards or upwards those are just things you have to you have to look at especially on a quarter quarter by quarter basis you just you have to kind of think about that but hopefully that helps answer that question a little bit.
1: I yeah I, I imagine it probably does. To add on to what you said about trending I would want to see cash from operations trending upwards. But like you said it can fluctuate and that depends on what kind of investments they make. And so that goes for the investing and the, and the financing too. I think you, you covered it really nicely with the financing. And like you said, if they're, if it's positive, it's just they're like accumulating cash. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> you, you're, the business is supposed to give the cash back to the owners, not just stockpile it for no reason. I think that's. That's all I've got tonight.
0: Yeah, me too. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those fantastic questions. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. And hopefully, you guys are getting some good takeaways from all this. Please keep them coming. We love doing this. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content.